0: Just before we pray, I'll just uh, add on a couple of verses, which is a precursor to the gospel that has just been read to us, just reading from verse 43. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, but they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument then arose among them as to which was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you is also one who is great." And Then John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Let us pray. Father God, in whom we live and move and have our being, we thank you for your word today. May it be a lamp unto our feet, and a light unto our path, and a strength unto our lives. Have your way in us. Come, Holy Spirit, and teach us your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Stephen, and I'm one of the adjunct clergy that is privileged to serve here at Truro. I always count it an honor to share with you from the Word of God, and so it's a great privilege for me today to be preaching when I was trying to figure out what to title this message, I came up with lots of options, mostly drawn from you know verse 57 to 62 of the gospel reading, because it's the default that most of us tend to go to. That's the danger of a familiar passage. So I came up with all sorts of titles. The cost of discipleship was the natural one. Following Jesus was another. Excuses not to follow Jesus. The fire-breathing disciples. The Mean Samaritans. So I came, I came up with all sorts of titles. But then after that, I just said, Lord, what would you want me to say? What would you want me to focus on? Because this, this passage that was read to us is one that you can spend weeks and weeks trying to teach on. Every excuse you could teach a whole a series on it. And the word that came to me was to focus on what the disciples who were already following Jesus were doing... And the word that came to me was imperfect followers. So the title of my sermon today is imperfect followers. Anyone who claims to follow Jesus will know right away that it's never a straight road. In fact, even though we call it the straight and narrow, we know that it's got several potholes and twists and turns. The road itself may not even have a problem, but we who are the travelers or the sojourners or the pilgrims along that road are usually the problem. We may not readily admit it, but we are imperfect followers, trying to follow a perfect Jesus, him who knew no sin. How is that even possible? It's easier to understand this once we acknowledge that we live in such an imperfect, broken world. If you don't believe me, you just need to put on the news. We attend an imperfect, broken church, We come from imperfect, broken families, and we are constantly distracted by the chaos and humbers around us. No wonder the Bible tells us to be still and know that he is God. It's so hard to be still these days with all the activity that goes on all around us. It's so hard to be quiet. It's so hard to seek not to perform in this performance-based culture, especially if you live in Northern Virginia. You know what I'm talking about. Someone was telling me in Northern Virginia, if you ask someone, can I meet you for coffee on Wednesday, in order to sound so serious and busy, they say, well, let me first check my calendar. Let's see, Tuesday, oh, I have something up, oh, Wednesday, Thursday, oh, because we're so busy, we're so distracted in this area that we live in. In fact, if you ask unchurched people today to follow Jesus, uh, they will tell you that they would probably, because we are so drawn into distraction." If you ask unchurched people who follow Jesus, that you want them to follow Jesus, they'll probably say, what is his hashtag? (laughs) Because we are so drawn into the social media world that everything has to be reduced into a tweet of 280 characters. Following someone today means clicking on one small button of your mobile device or computer, and the more followers you have, the cooler you are. We friend and unfriend, this is new English for me, we friend and unfriend people at will. And you don't even have to have a relationship with those you follow. The concept of following has become so hard to understand, especially for uncharged people. Now, back in the day before MapQuest and GPS, and if you know what MapQuest is, it says something about your age. Uh, but back in the day, before MapQuest and GPS, if you wanted to guide someone to a place you were going to and you didn't have the AAA map, now if you don't even know that, or if you know it, you're actually now in another age bracket, <laughs> you would have to have someone follow you in your car. And so you would say, I'm gonna take off, just follow me. And uh, you know, it was really an old fashioned way of doing things, so you followed this person And you made sure that you don't want to be separated by a red light because then you'd lose your way. And if that happened, the person you're following usually parked on the roadside, hopefully it's not on a freeway or on on the highway, and they waited until the person came along who was following them, and then you continued. Now, it's really an old-fashioned way of doing things, yet it bears resemblance to the principles of following Jesus. You had to fully trust that the person you were following knew where they were going, That's the first thing. And that they they knew that their way was the best way to go. Second, you knew that they would wait for you in case you got delayed. Third, you remained as close to them as possible because you didn't want to lose sight of them. And lastly, you were assured of getting to your destination. In a way, it really required faith in the person you were following. Today, we have to think of Jesus as your GPS, the only problem with this analogy is that Jesus does not speak like the lady on the GPS speaks, <laughs> and you cannot switch him on and off at will. So probably not a very good analogy. I'll stick to the first one. Now, I'm always amazed at how the disciples were called from being fishermen to preachermen. In Luke chapter 5, we read when the first disciples were called, Simon, Peter, James, and John, we're told that they left everything and followed him. It must have been a difficult choice. It's a short sentence and it sounds so obvious, but it's a difficult choice because they were professional fishermen. All they knew was the water, all they knew was the fish, you know, how to hook the fish, the nets, that's all they knew. And all of a sudden, they're told, well, you come now, you're going to catch men. That was it must have been really difficult. It requires a lot of humility to admit that you don't always know the way. They didn't know what they were going into. And sometimes you don't even know the truth. And we are called to follow a perfect Jesus who is not only the way, who not only knows the way, but he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And there is such an urgency in the call to follow Jesus. He does not debate the fact. He does not impose himself. He does not try to manipulate us into following him. But he requires obedience. He offers us a simple choice to trust him by faith that he will ultimately perfect that which concerns us. Now, we must remember that the disciples had been witnesses of Jesus' ministry. They had seen him perform miracles. In fact, some of them had even witnessed the supernatural, like at the Mount of Transfiguration. They had seen amazing things. So, there is a way in which, whenever we read about the disciples when, or when we are Christians, we confer a certain perfection on Christians and it kind of hinders our walk and hinders how we treat others because we become judgmental. So I want us to see what was the walk of the disciples like? What was it like? Were they perfect? How did Jesus hang around these kinds of people? So Jesus tells them in the verses that I read for you that he was going to be killed. He says, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But we're told that they did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him about what he was saying. Now, does this sound familiar? As imperfect followers, there are many things we don't understand, but we're so afraid to ask because we don't want to sound stupid, especially if you live in the DMV where there are very many smart people. The disciples were like that. They could have asked Jesus, We don't get it, what do you mean by what you're saying? Jesus is always eager to answer our questions, but we have to ask him. In fact, Jesus is the answer to many of our troubling questions. He's the one who knows all things. He's the one who gives all wisdom. So how much more should we be ready to ask Jesus when we don't know? So that's the first learning point. Now, instead of being disturbed by what their friend had just told them about his impending death, these disciples, the next thing that they do, they start arguing amongst themselves as to which one of them is the greatest. What is wrong with these disciples? Your friend has just said, I'm going to die. And they're like, well, who is the greatest? Who do you think is the greatest? I wonder who, and you know, probably they were saying who will inherit, who will, be the, who will be the boss after he dies. You know, they almost were like looking forward to his death in some way. But aren't we like that sometimes too? We're always comparing and contrasting ourselves to others. Who speaks better, who has a better house and a better car, who is more popular, who has more followers. We get into this trap of not listening to the pain and agony of those around us. That's what the disciples missed. Imperfect they were. They missed the point. Jesus is telling them, I'm going to go on a very difficult road here. I'm going to go to my death. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to go to the cross. It's serious business. But they were kind of numb to it. And there is a way sometimes when we're in church, when we're Christians, when we're in our Christian walk, we become numb to the feelings and to the pressures and to the pains of those around us. And we need to be more mindful of the pains and the things that people are going through around us. Especially after COVID, when we become so self-centered, so self-focused, we need to find out people's names, the people who sit next to us. We need to ask them, how is life? What is going on in your life? How can I support you? How can I, none of these spiritual disciples who had seen miracles asked Jesus, how can we support you, Jesus? You're going to your death, how can we help you? We need to be careful not to be so self-centered, not to be so insensitive to those around us. Jesus Jesus challenges them to a lesson in humility. He tells them, uh, we're told actually that, but Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, he goes on to tell them how they should behave. The, The thing is this, that Jesus knows the reasoning of our hearts. And that's actually a good thing. It means we cannot pretend before Jesus. When we go to him, we need to be so open. I like to tell Jesus exactly what I think, because I already know he knows it. You know, it's okay to tell him, Jesus, I don't really feel like I like that person. I'm only going to love them because you say so. And as you love them, as you start to love them, you start growing in, to love them even more. So being honest before Jesus is another lesson that we can impart don't pretend before Jesus. Don't pretend like you understand like the disciples tried to pretend. But no sooner had all this happened, these same disciples, these followers of Jesus started complaining that someone outside their circle had dared to try and be like them by chasing out demons in Jesus' name. Someone was stealing their brand and they tried to stop him. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you." Now the disciples were really imperfect, as we can see. They practiced such sectarianism and the desire for exclusivity. They had a club mentality. It isn't unlike us many times. It's very easy to scoff at people or to dislike people who are not in your club. Aren't we guilty of wanting exclusivity? We have little clubs, even in church, we have some little clubs and cliques. We choose who is in, who is out. We put guardrails around those little circles of ours. We want to monopolize Jesus and the gospel instead of partnering with others. Yet we know the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, if we look more critically at the reading for us, that was the gospel reading that was read today, there are a couple of lessons that I'll highlight. And I will not go deep into this portion because, like I say, this portion could be uh, the topic or the theme of the year, and we could find 52 sermons in it quite easily. But Luke 9.51 onwards is a major turning point in the Gospel of Luke. It sets us off into a new trajectory where Jesus has just finished the first phase of his life, and he has less than a year to fulfill his mission on earth of saving humanity from sin and death. And so from verse 51, we see Jesus marching towards fulfilling his purpose as designed by his Father God. And the first part we look at is verses 51 to 56, and I'll divide them into maybe two or three chunks. So when the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered into a village of the Samaritans, to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John saw it, they said, Lord, you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. There are a couple of lessons that I want to draw from there. The first one is focus on the mission. As a follower of Jesus, imperfect though we be, we need to focus on the, on the mission. We see that Jesus had a firm resolve to focus on completing his mission. His face was set toward Jerusalem, the place of worship. It was the place where the Jews worshipped as opposed to where the Samaritans worshipped. And he was going to go there and make a triumphal entry on a donkey. He was going to be betrayed. He was going to be crucified. He was going to be, to, to be killed to die on the cross, to give us our longed-for freedom. Jesus was determined to fulfill the will of God, his Father. How determined are we to fulfill the will of God in our lives? This requires, first and foremost, that we know what the will of God is for us. And the best way to know the will of God is to go to the Bible. The will is there. People come and pray to me and, and say, pray for me. I want to know the will of God. I say, I'll pray for you, but you need to go to the Bible. We need to read the word. Go back. It's old-fashioned. Yes, go back and read this old-fashioned book. It still has life lessons for today. It is the will of God. So we need to read the Bible. That's the first thing. But the second thing that we see is that Jesus was rejected by the Samaritan village. And I want to say that rejection is not the end. We need to remember that, rejection is not the end. They never received Jesus in this village, it's not surprising, I could tell you all about the conflict between the Jews and Samaritans, but in summary, they hated each other. Samaritans did not mix with the Jews. The Jews were pure, they worshiped the almighty God. The Samaritans had gotten involved in pagan worship, and you had a choice to go, if you wanted to go down to Jerusalem, Jesus could have gone around Samaria, but he chose to go through Samaria. It was about a three-day journey, and there is a reason for that, that I think. But I want us to focus for a moment on how he was rejected by this village. Jesus was no stranger to rejection. Remember when he was being born, he was rejected immediately, because he went from inn to inn and he could not find a place. He was already a product of rejection in that sense. But in Luke chapter five, I think chapter four, we also read that Jesus, after laying out his mission statement of why he came into the world, and then immediately were told they rejected him in Nazareth. They said, Who is isn't he isn't he Mary and Joseph's son? Isn't this the guy, the carpenter's son? who, who is he to be telling us this? They even thought of throwing him off the cliff. So rejection was not a strange thing for Jesus. And there are probably so many other you know theological explanations for this. But one thing that I know for sure, rejection did not stop him. We're told that he moved on. They moved on to the next village. And that's a lesson in itself, that we need to move on. These disciples ought to have known better that you shake the dust off your feet if they reject you and you move on. Jesus was rejected. And I want to speak to someone who is here that has been rejected you probably have been rejected in your childhood you probably have been rejected at work rejected at home in some way you face some kind of rejection I want you to know that you're in good company with Jesus rejection is not the end Jesus bore our rejection and made us accepted in the beloved so you're in good company with Jesus if you faced rejection in your life no it's not the end and then the third thing we see how these imperfect followers again demonstrated how, like us, they keep falling short. Their instinct in response to the rejection they received was take them out. Jesus, you want us to take out these guys? You want us to kill all these people? Should we call fire from heaven to come down? You see, we need to learn that to accept this with grace. We're living in a very, very polarized culture right now. And we need to understand that cancel culture did not start well, you know, just recently with the politics around us. Cancel culture started long ago. These people wanted to get even. We're living in a polarized country, which you know very well. So many issues around us. The divide has never been so much stronger than it is today. Disagreement means hatred and cancellation. Where people find it hard, even in churches and cathedrals, disagree agreeably we embrace our own versions of the truth that's different than what the Bible says but notice the attitude of Jesus Jesus rebukes them he says you know I never came and maybe this is the reason he passed through Samaria he wanted to teach his disciples that you know people who you don't have to kill all the people who disagree with you instead You have to love them with grace. You have to pray for them. You have to draw them in to become followers also. And the Samaritans needed Jesus as much as the disciples needed Jesus. Certainly the disciples needed Jesus because their attitude was about killing them. How do we treat those we disagree with? How do we treat those that are not in our party? How How do we treat those that don't have the same you know, political inclinations like we do? How do we treat those that are not the same as us in race? How do we treat people around us? Because for the Samaritans and the Jews, they had both a religious and racial divide. How do we treat people like that? And how, what do we learn from how Jesus told his disciples what they ought to do? Many Bibles don't have this verse in this way. Some, bi- some versions have it, but others don't. It says in verse 55, but he turned and rebuked them. So most of them stopped there. But there are some versions that say, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Jesus came to save. He wanted his his disciples to know, I came to save. How can you ask me to be killing them? Now finally, uh, you know that, I wouldn't want to dwell much on the excuses that people gave for not following Jesus. I think the important part to take away from that is that we all have different excuses for not following Jesus. And I know it's very easy to judge these people and say, how could you not follow Jesus? Jesus tells you to follow him and you say no. But I find myself very much like these people who did not follow Jesus. Many times... I'm not as keen to follow Jesus. Many times, I'm not as obedient in following Jesus. Many times, I fall short. Many times, I'm struck by how imperfect a follower I am. And maybe we are called to be imperfect followers so that we can be dependent on Jesus, who is the perfect follower. Because if we were perfect, and someone said perfect people have no right to live, if we were perfect, it would be difficult to follow anybody else but our imperfection as followers helps us to depend on Jesus. St. Paul captures it this way in Romans chapter seven, verse 19 to 25. He says, for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep doing. We have this contradiction in us as followers of Jesus that we don't always do the right thing. And St. Paul says, wicked man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Only Jesus can do it for us. Imperfect as we are, Jesus will help us. You see, following Jesus is not a matter of talk. That's easy for, all, for us to do. It's a matter of faith and dependence, uh, dependency on a God who is perfect and who can help us, who can sympathize with us, who has tempted in every way, but yet without sin. I want to conclude uh, by something that I read during my devotion uh, on Thursday in Daily Hope. And it was titled, Know What Counts and What Doesn't. And I thought it would be a good way to conclude uh, the message for today. And it, he focuses on Philippians 3 8, where it says, Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And this is what it says. Every day when you wake up, you need to remind yourself of what counts and what doesn't. Don't be distracted by the things that are insignificant or petty. Why is it important to remind yourself of what matters? It's easy to lose your joy over some small thing. In fact, it's usually the small irritations, not the big issues, that cause you to lose your happiness. Somebody cuts you off when you're trying to make a turn and you lose your happiness. The clothes you put on don't fit anymore, you know, especially after COVID, and you lose your happiness. It's the little things that sometimes affect people the most and yet don't really matter. Philippians, Paul said in Philippians 3, 7, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. What was the most important thing in your life before you met Christ Jesus? Was it your career? Was it making money? Maybe it was getting a date or being popular. Paul said all those things are worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So here's a good question to ask when you're distracted by worthless things. Like the excuses that people gave, they were distracted, really distracted from following Jesus. How much will this matter in a 100 years? Whenever you're distracted by something, ask yourself, how much will this matter in a hundred years? Many things won't even matter tomorrow, much less for eternity. All things you used to care about don't even compare to the joy that comes from having a relationship with Jesus. When you become a Christian, Jesus changes your values. You no longer want to do the things you used to do. He changes your wants. When God comes into your life, you learn the joy of knowing Jesus, and that's what really counts. So may God help us on this journey as imperfect followers, but still following, with the hope to triumph when we meet with Jesus in glory. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this moment that you've given us to hear from your word read to us and your word spoken to us in different ways. We ask that you'll take your word and that it will grow in us and that you'll have us follow your will. and that. Even as we are imperfect followers, we may remember that you are perfect, that even when we are incomplete, you complete us with your completeness because you are all in all. We thank you and we bless you, for in Jesus' name do we pray. Amen. Amen.